All right, open again in Acts chapter 18. If you remember where we left off, if you're taking notes, there's notebooks in the backs and pens and what have you. Acts chapter 18, we've been on Paul with his second missionary journey, right? He's actually, if we get to almost 22, verse 22 here in chapter 18, we'll see that he begins his third missionary journey. But he's, he's come this far, and last we left off, he was at the Areopagus and in Athens, and he had been speaking to many of the intellectuals, many of those that were intellectually minded, that loved philosophical debate, and, and they were able to go back and forth and sort of rhetorically argue presuppositions or points that way. But then it was cut short. And, and again, not by Paul's design, I don't believe here, because Paul was just getting to the point of Christ as the righteous judge, which we read about, obviously, in the Psalms, but we also read about in Revelation where it says that God is the righteous judge and there will be a judgment, right? It's not a, you know, thy will be done, but it's God's will be done. And so Paul gently, lovingly, but strongly gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ, didn't he? And what was their response? Thanks, Paul, we've heard enough. Why don't you come back in a couple weeks? Not that any of us have ever heard that, right? That's foreign to us, sharing the gospel. We've never had anybody say, um, no, we don't want to buy what you're sharing, right? That, that never happens, right? Well, Paul, you know, I imagine he thought, man, did I blow this? Did I, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? You might have given the gospel. Did I, did I wreck this? Was I not listening to the Holy Spirit? And, and what do we do? We look at the, the outcome, you might say. We look at what, what is the, what is the, measurement or metric. And if we're looking by worldly standards and numbers, we see that two, two people, really, it said in some others. So, so, you know, in verse 34, it says what? Dionysus, the Arapagite, which means someone that lived that pretty much stayed at that Areopagus and was constantly debating. But then also we read about Demarius, right? A woman. And it says, oh, and, and, and some others are with them. We, we really don't know, but, but from Paul's perspective, I mean, think about it. He had, he had been in what? Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and we'd see multitudes upon multitudes coming to Christ. But here he was in Athens, and two, maybe a few. And if we too looked at the outward fruit like that, we might say, well, you know what? I blew it. But Paul didn't blow it. Because when he comes back through that way, we're going to see many that had come to Christ. And, and, and that's just a lesson or, or, or an encouragement for you and I that we should not in any way look with our eyes at the outward to say, Lord, were you a success today in planting the seed? Never. But Paul's coming from this, and now he's making his way over to Corinth. Now, a different place, right? Athens, very intellectual. Very intellectual. Now we're going to Corinth. I mean, it's basically Sin City. And if you think about, you know, if I say Vegas, some of you might go, oh, well, maybe, depending on what part of Nevada, right, or, or Las Vegas that way. Many of you, you know, have heard that saying, you know, the commercials, you know, what happens in Vegas stays. You've heard that, right, right? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because God sees everything. He sees the heart. There is no hiding anything from God. Man can create an illusion, an, an imagination of things that are happening and tell themselves anything that they choose to believe that morning. But it doesn't make it true, nor does it make it biblical. 
And so here, Paul, he makes his way over. I mean, it's, it's quite a city, Corinth. He'd go in, but the sexual immorality, I mean, think about Paul. He had, when he had first got to Athens, he's probably overwhelmed because he's seeing all this pagan idolatry to the unknown God. He's walking around. He had gotten there two weeks before, what, Silas and Timothy, he sent for them, come unto me, come, encourage me. Paul didn't want to be alone. He wanted to go out like that with others. He, did, he didn't, you look at his trip, he was traveling, he liked, but what happened? God would say, no, Paul. You need to leave Timothy here. No, Paul, you need to leave Silas here. No, Paul, Luke needs to go here. And Paul would end up alone. Well, as he gets to Corinth, he's, he's departed from there. And he, he arrives there. And all of a sudden, he's going to meet Aquila and Priscilla. God once again knits him with some other believers or will be believers. And as they're there... He, he's going to enjoy that. They, they have something in common. How does God knit them together? Well, they happen to have the same line of work. They're tent makers. What's that mean? That means they work with leather. Tents used to be made of leather, you know, and they, they were leather workers. They took things of leather, and, and it's a perfect profession for Paul. Because think about it. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have to keep a lot of inventory. He doesn't need to have satchels and satchels of bags and all this. He needs a needle, Right? He needs a needle and he needs some, you know, artifact that when he goes into an area, hey, I'll buy some of this skin, I'll buy some of that skin, and he can do his trade. And, and today we think of it often, we hear of it when someone goes into the mission field and if they're sort of co-laboring, in other words, you know, the church is supporting them, but they're also supporting some of themselves, even though we know God provides for all of us, amen? So, you know, they're out there. What do we say? They're what? They're tent makers. Now, they're not there's not this awesome, amazing supply or demand for tents in the mission field. It's not like you're out there and they're like, hey, man, we need a lot of tents, right? That's not what they mean by tent making. It means they're, they're providing for themselves in some capacity or God is providing for them. And then maybe the church is coming alongside to meet some of their financial needs. So, so Paul's going to have this experience, but, but just like I believe he was overwhelmed here, and, I, and we'll get to that as we read it, and the reason I say that in context it's because if you've gone to Las Vegas, if you've gone to the Strip, you know, I, many of you know I used to work with Microsoft. And I would travel very, you know, often. I'd probably be there, you know, annually. And I would go, and I, I can remember, you literally, you'd go to the meetings, and then I'd, I'd book it back to the hotel. And I'd, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not outgoing. I don't, I'd rather go back and read my Bible. That's my pleasure. That's my enjoyment. But I remember walking... I mean, you'd be propositioned. I mean, every, literally, you know, is it, I don't know, 500 feet, you'd be propositioned, especially later at night on the strip when the meetings would, because they'd keep us in, in meetings till like 8 p.m., and then you'd get out, and you'd walk in the strip to head back to your hotel. And, and, and I can't, you know, Paul, I mean, you, you think of the Corinthian. If you would have gone to a Roman city at that time, and you would have said, I have a Corinthian companion, what would you have been saying? I have a prostitute with me. That's what it actually meant. It was well known in that area that that's what you were speaking about. And that the sexual immorality, or if somebody said, um, you know, I, I side with Corinth, or I'm a, Cor you know, I'm a Corinthizer, or I'm, I'm a Corinthian that way. It was kind of meaning you were a little bit liberal, not a little bit, a lot of bit liberal sexually, immorality. And that's what it connoted. So here Paul is, He's going, his mind's already wrecked. He's thinking, did I blow it? He goes in, and I'm sure as he's in this city, and he's walking around, and he's, as Paul normally does, what's his pattern? Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue. He's going to make his way over there. But I'm sure even before he gets to the synagogue, he 
is propositioned. And he's thinking, Lord, if it's not the pagan idols to the unknown God, it's the sexual immorality, Lord. When's it going to end, God? The filth and the stench of this world, it's overwhelming. And maybe some of you here understand that. Because you're born-again believers in Christ, and yet you're not of the world, but you're in the world. We're living around it. And we're not to try to be separatist or escape it. No. God's given us a greater privilege. And that's to share his gospel. To share Jesus Christ with all those that they would have eternal life. That they may be believers in Jesus Christ. You see, that choice has to be made this side of eternity. There's no do-over. There's no do-over. So, Everybody good with the context? That's where we're at. Now we're moving to Corinth. We'll start with verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and he came to them. So there was persecution going on in that area. Claudius says to the Jews, you need to get out of Rome. Interestingly enough, Aquila and Priscilla will join Paul. Paul will write a letter or an epistle to them back in Romans where Aquila and Priscilla came from. God doesn't make mistakes. He reaches the lost. He loves the lost. Now it's interesting. We have two epistles based on this church, this church plant that Paul here is working on. First and second. Corinthians, right? So it says he departed and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, we talked about that, he was a leather worker or a tent maker, he stayed with them. Notice that. They met him and said, hey, Paul, why don't you come and hang with us? Move in, man. You know, you do the same thing. We'll do the same thing. Let's go out. We'll do our trade and, and come stay with us. And he worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. This is an important point. If you're taking notes, underline that. Some have gone through and tried to reinterpret the Bible and say Paul was a hater of Jews. Because as a Pharisee, when he rejected the Pharisaic gospel after that point, right, the, the ceremonial law, if I can say it that way, and he began to follow Jesus Christ after his Damascus Road experience, many have come back and said, well, see, he only ministered to the Gentiles. But you and I are well taught. We have our Bible. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul loved Jew and Gentile. He loved Jew and Gentile that way. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, remember, they were coming back over. They were making their way back over by, by boat like that. And Paul had already left um, Athens. They probably stopped at Athens. Or where, where's Paul? He's not here. He's, he's, he's already moved on to Corinth. Oh, okay. They got back on the, the boat and they made their way over, remember? Paul was compelled by the Spirit. Now, this is interesting to me. So Paul was already there witnessing. But something changed when, when Silas and Timothy arrived. He was encouraged. Do you see the difference here? It says, it says when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the news that Jesus is the Christ. Somehow, whatever happened... Paul was encouraged by Silas and Timothy arriving. 
He was encouraged. Aren't you encouraged when a brother or sister comes alongside you and you go out two by two that way or you're unified in Christ? Aren't you encouraged when you don't forsake the assembly of the brethren? Hebrews, right? You're here this morning. You're encouraged. You're built up. You're with like-minded believers. Aren't you encouraged by that? I am. And so was Paul, the right heart through the Spirit of God. And he says he was compelled And he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He spoke boldly. There was a boldness to what Paul was doing here. But when when they opposed him and blasphemed, do you see the difference there? Paul didn't mind the opposing. He was used to that. I mean, he's been kicked out of what? Five, if you're counting roughly around five cities at this point in his second missionary journey already. He didn't mind the opposition. Paul was used to, you and I, born-again believers in Christ, we're used to opposition and affliction, aren't we? It's not a surprise to us. We, we don't believe in a faith and prosperity doctrine where everything should be good, life should be great. That's not biblical. When we face opposition and affliction, we're not surprised. We run to Christ. He's our sure foundation. We're in the battle, man. We're in the battle. But... There's something that happened here that Paul just couldn't stand. He couldn't stand for it. And that's when they began to blaspheme Jesus Christ. When they took the name of Jesus Christ, whether it was in vain or whether he was preaching about Jesus, and they turned around and they said, no, Paul, that Jesus you speak about, you know, and he said, I won't even, I won't dare from, from you know, a pulpit that way, speak of anything that could even be concerned or condoned blasphemous. But speaking of something that would have been blasphemous, Paul says, that's enough. You've gone too far. You want to take my name and trash it? That's fine. You don't take the name of Jesus Christ and trash it. He's my God. He's my Lord. I love him. Some of you know what I'm talking about here this morning. You've had that situation. You work in places where either the name of Christ is blasphemed or, or situations, and you know what? It, it, it's almost like a sounding brass to your ear. You, you can't tolerate it. You can't stand it. You know, why aren't you saying, well, you know, darn Muhammad, or, you know, what about this or that? You know, you, you, why, why is it always the name of the living God? Why don't you take some other name? Darn Matt. Nobody does that. It's the name of Christ because there's power in the name. There's power in the name of Christ. There's power in the blood. But they blasphemed, and he said, you know what? You know, I think of Popeye. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand him. That's it. He, he shakes his clothes. You know, he's basically taken off that Jerusalem dust there. You know, the dust and the synagogue type dust that he had maybe on his clothes. And he shakes it off in front of him and he says, no more. No more will you do this. He says, I'm out of here, man. You want to toil in your blasphemy? You're going to have to answer to the living God. You know what? You don't have to fire me. I quit. I'm done. You're not going to blaspheme my God and I'm going to stand by idol. Paul had a boldness, didn't he? He had a boldness. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I think of, you know, obviously I'm, I'm blessed now in ministry that I, I, I don't always work uh, around folks like that anymore. I, I serve here and I'm, I'm sort of wrecked by that because, you know, everybody comes in, hallelujah, God bless you, brother. You know, things are great. But, but I can remember it wasn't too long ago when I was co-laboring. And I can remember being out, and, and, and they would take the name of Christ, and they, they would blaspheme. And I, I tell you, boy, 
I, I, there are many times I had to say, look, I, I don't want to offend you, but you're, you're absolutely offending me. Because what you're saying, you know, curse my name. You know, do, do anything you want, but please don't talk about my God. You, you don't know what you're doing. And, and then I would always say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But he shakes the garments and he said to them, your blood be upon your heads. He says, I'm clean, man. He says, God sent me out to preach and teach the word of God. He says, son of man, like Ezekiel chapter two, eat what I give you. Let their blood be upon them if they will not hear and speak my truth. He says, your blood be upon your heads. He says, I'm clean. He says, I know Christ. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You ever have the enemy try to come up and sort of try to tear you down, whisper those lies into your ears? Your inner ear, if I say it, though, you're not good enough. What do you mean you're a Christian? Who do you think you are? You did this yesterday, or in my case, you did this two minutes ago, right? <laughs> you think you're so high and mighty, huh? And you sit there, and for a minute, you know, we know Jesus has taken every thought captive. For a moment, it gets low. It, it kind of breaks through the, the, the demilitarized zone there. It's in. And we got to sit there, and we got to go, Lord, if there's any truth to this, God, get my heart right. Cleanse me. I can't remember if it was Spurgeon or Edwards. I can't remember who it was. When he would be woken up at night by lies and accusations by the great accuser, or he isn't great, but by the accuser, he would turn around and he would write them down on paper. And then at the very end, he'd take his inkblot and he would come out and he would take red ink and he would say, covered and blessed by the blood of the lamb. And he would throw the paper off his desk and said, what do you have against me? For in you, I am cleansed by my Lord Jesus Christ. And I am without fault or blemish because of his imputed righteousness. What can you possibly say against me? If you're born again believer in Christ, you have that victory. You have that promise here. For every one of us, claim it. It's yours. You got to receive it, though. You need to receive it. But Paul, he lays it down hot, man. And he says, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. But he doesn't go very far, does he? He walks out of there and he says, you know what? Maybe I'll go to the left. Maybe I'll go to the right. And there's this guy, Justice. And Justice is out there going, hey, Paul, what are you doing, man? He's like, well, you know, I just, this, this thing just went down. It got heavy. I had to rip my clothes again or I had to shake them off again. You know, I, you know I'm going to have to take my needle, sew it up again in the leather, something, a little leather patch here. I don't know. He says, it, it happened again. Paul, isn't that like the sixth time? Yeah, I know. I don't know. Hey, these people, I don't know. I love them. I love them. The Lord loves them. But they just, boy, there's a stiff neck to them. They just don't want to hear. And, and he says, well, man, why don't you just come in my house? He says, yeah. He says, yeah, just come on over. He says, you know what? Invite, yeah, I don't know, 20, 50, 1,000 of your closest friends. Come on in. What are you going to do? What do we do in synagogue? We're going to open the Bible. We're going to pray. We're going to speak truth. All right, man, I'll, I'll come over. Not only does he come over, but what happens? The leader of the synagogue, he comes out, and he's thinking, man, Paul laid it down hot. You know what? He started getting convicted. You know, you get like that 
that, that sweating it. Like, man, this is, it's hot in here, right? It really is hot in here this morning. But, but it's like hot in here, right? It's not you guys. It's not the Holy Spirit. It is hot in here this morning. But you're like, man, you know, what's going on? And all of a sudden he turns around and he's like, I'm going with those guys. Can you imagine that? The leader of the synagogue? What are all their people doing? They're sitting in there going, what do we do now? I mean, they're looking at each other. What do we do now? I bet you they got up and you know what some of them did? They took their two feet and started making a choice. They chose Jesus over man's wisdom and tradition. It says, and he departed from there and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice. One who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the, the synagogue. Isn't that just coincidence? How God worked that out. It's, I don't, it's coincidence. God's house who is next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, I love this, underline this, believed on the Lord. This is the same Paul that a week ago, two weeks ago from his travels to Corinth, wondered, Lord, are you doing anything? I spoke of the resurrection. I spoke of the truth. I spoke of you as the righteous judge. God, has something happened there were only two that came in, or maybe a few more than that, that came into salvation. But, but Lord, now they're opposing me in the synagogue. Is it me, Lord? If I got something off? And then all of a sudden, the ruler, Crispus, he comes over, man. And he says, you know, talk to me more about this Jesus. He says, I believe you know more is caught than taught. You know more, you can get more out of watching the Bible of someone's life, turning the pages of someone's life than often that people get, because they may never pick up a Bible. But as they look upon your life and they read your life, they see Jesus Christ. Not because you're perfect, not because you do all the right things. Actually, can I say it this way without you being upset at me? Eh, you can get upset at me anyway. You know what? They, it's, be, it's in spite of you. It's in spite of me. Thank you, Jesus. They see Jesus in us because he's the light that cannot be hidden. And it so shines and bright and it goes forth. That's beautiful grace. That's what grace looks like. It's not earned. It's not deserved. You can't merit it. It is the greatest gift ever. And it's for his glory. All we have to do is walk in it and not look at ourselves. It's not about us. We are living in such a perverse generation. Everything comes back to us. How are you doing today? Well, I don't know what's going on in my life. Then I can tell you if I'm having a good day or not. Look, life may be good with or without you. Okay? Life may be good based. Your, your emotions can betray you. My emotions betray me. If, if I lived based on my emotions, there are probably many days, man, I, I might not get out of bed. Or I'd sit in the backyard. I love sitting in the backyard in the sun, and I, you know, I'm sitting back there. I'll pray. I have my Bible. If I went just on my emotions, how much would I miss of the glory of God? of all of creation testifying, of, of all the works that God is doing every day in the life and hearts of his people. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. But, but Crispus, he got this. 
So he went in this household. It says, many of the, Christ, uh, the Corinthians, hearing believe, were baptized. Look at that. So next time you think, boy, you know what, Pastor? I, I hear what you say from the word of God. And, you know, I know Jesus is right, and I do believe his word. But my neighborhood, it's rough. I live in a really rough neighborhood, man. It, you know, my neighborhood, the sexual morality is off the chart. You know, there's drug dealers, there's prostitution, there's all this going on. What am I going to do? You want me to walk out and, and open the Bible? What am I going to do? Well, man, look at what Paul did. He spoke in truth. And God did the rest. Paul didn't have to do it. Paul, Paul was like, I'm out of here, man. You're going to blaspheme my God? I'm out of here. But God did the rest. They, they were convicted because Paul stood in the boldness of Christ. He was willing to count the cost. He picked up his cross. It wasn't a matter of convenience. You know what I'm talking about? We need to be real. Is our Christian walk a matter of convenience? Because if it is, we're going to miss the best Jesus has for us. And we have no idea all that God's doing right now. He's doing a great work just in this. I mean, I look around. We started a couple of years, 20 people. I look around, hundreds. I don't even know how many people. I watch God move the way he's doing. And it's because you went out and told someone you love, man, the Bible's being taught. I know it's not because of me. I know you're not here. I, I, it's in spite of me. Thank you, Jesus. It's because you love God and you love his truth and you want your mind washed. You don't come in here expecting to get tickled. It's not honeydew. You come in here because you want God to touch your heart the same way I want God to touch my heart. Show me. Lord, let me be right with you. I don't want to go through the motions, God. I did it for 30 years or 20 years of my life. Lord, I don't want to do it anymore. Nothing ever changed. All I did is go after the bottle, go after the drug. It never changed. But Jesus and you, all things really are made new. These guys, man, they, they, these ladies, they, they heard this, they believed, and they're baptized. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. I love, thank you, Jesus, for putting this passage in here. I hope some of you, you, you man, you, you see how special this is. This didn't need to be put in here. This could have been just between Paul and God. But God allowed this to be recorded for you and I. Now, I'm going to work under the supposition or the, the understanding that if, if God tells Paul something or if he tells you something, there's probably a reason for it. I'm going to go off on the conclusion that you're thinking it or you're feeling it. Or, and feelings don't matter, but you're thinking it that way. I'm wrecked by Ken Graves. We were at the pastor's, you know, conference at the East Coast, and Ken gets up, Pastor Ken Graves gets up there, and he starts talking about feelings, and he's like, you know, our feelings betray us, the whole thing. And he goes on on feelings, feelings. So now if I say feelings, I immediately get, I get the shudder of conviction for a moment. Forgive me. So for some of the guys that went, they got that. But all right, back to where we're. So he t sorry, everyone else. So back, back here. So if you look, he says, look. He says, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. He says, don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. First of all, that's a command, isn't it? That's a command. That wasn't a suggestion. That's number one. Number two, what do you think Paul's feeling? Fear. 
He's feeling freer, isn't he? he? He's wondering, Lord, should I keep speaking? Paul might be having anxiety right here, struggling with anxiety. He's feeling overwhelmed. I mean, this is Paul. I mean, Paul's the, you know, this man of God. Look at all that he does. I mean, this is Paul. I mean, he's been beat to, you know, death, stoned to death that way. You know, gets up with all boldness, walks back into the city. Me, I'm going the other way. Paul's walking back into the city low. This is Paul we're talking about. And God says, Paul, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're thinking. He says, Paul, you don't need to be afraid. Now, now try to reconcile this mentally. You know God cares about you. You know God loves you. You know God protects you. But you also know sometimes things happen that you wouldn't desire or you would not want to happen to you. Right? Paul probably didn't want to get stoned near to death. Right? Probably was not on his bucket list. Right? He wasn't thinking about, this is something I want to cross off before I... No. And maybe it stuck with him. Maybe walking out of the synagogue and just everything's taking its toll. I mean... You realize between his second and when he begins his third missionary journey in verse 23 of this chapter, three years will have gone by. He spent a year and a half just here in Corinth dealing with this sin and all that's going on, but he's watching believer. He's watching people come to Christ. But it takes a toll on you, doesn't it? When you're serving the Lord and you're standing in the gap, men and women, I'm speaking to you, when you're standing in the gap, It takes a toll on you. Paul understood that. God understands that. And he he said said the same thing to you today that he said to Paul, don't be afraid. He says, but you speak boldly. You speak what I give you to speak, son of man or daughter of God that way. You speak boldly. You don't keep silent. He was weary. He says, for I'm with you. Isn't that awesome? Just sometimes to just think about that. I am with you. And then say your name right after it. Say your name right after it. I am with you. That's not just a promise for Paul. That's a promise for every single one of us as born again believers in Jesus Christ in this room in all of Christum, in all of the body of Christ. He says, no one will attack you or hurt you. He says, Paul, you don't even know it, but I have many people in this city. He says, what you see, Paul, it looks like you're all alone. You've got Aquila and Priscilla, and it's you and, and Silas and Timothy. You know, the gang's back together again. He says, oh, no. And we'll read later. We won't probably have time there, but we'll read. He's, he, who's there in Corinth with him? Who's going to end up back in Corinth like that? Or actually even in Ephesus? And then make his way back to Corinth. And we read that because of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right around verse 12. Who's back there? Apollos. God had other men in this city. He says, no one will attack you, hurt you, for I have many people in this city. He says, don't quit, Paul. He says, I've given you a promise. If that's you here this morning, 
Look at me with your eyes. If that's you here this morning, and you're saying, man, the Christian life, this is too hard. I got nothing left. I am weary. I am filled with fear. I am just overwhelmed with anxiety. I, I can't keep doing this. Your God is telling you he is with you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he has given you that victory even if you don't feel it at the moment. Even if you're broken. Even if you're weary. Even if you're feeling anxiety ridden. And you're, you're saying, I got nothing left. I can't get out of bed, Pastor Matt. I, I can't move anymore. I'm crippled by it. I'm overwhelmed. God says, I will protect you. No harm will come to you. I love you. You speak boldly for my name. You get outside of yourself and you watch what I do through you. You watch what I do. He says, you test me that way. I'm the living God. Nobody can come against me. That's the God we serve. Amen? That's the God we serve. And I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. I've been there, man. But I got to claim this promise. You need to claim this promise. And every moment you need to take thoughts captive. Because it takes a second later. You believe this, you'll say amen, and then you find yourself right back in that anxious thought. Right back in that cycle and that pattern. You need to reach for that drink again. You want to smoke that dope again. And it's so just repetitive and vicious. And if it's not an addictive drug like that, then, then, then you're reaching back for something else. Entertainment, something else to, 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 to lure you back. You know, Lord, light the fire again. You know, maybe I, need to go to, maybe I need to go to a church where there's a rock concert because then I get moving and I get grew and I can feel it and, I, and I'm pumped with passion. And I, where is that in the Bible, man? Jesus, light the, light the fire again through your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me, wash me, fill me. Do you pray that? Because if you're doing it on your own, you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel like you got nothing left. But if you let God strengthen you, just like the Apostle Paul, watch what's going to happen here in Corinth. Watch what's going to happen as he's gone from these cities. I mean, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and now in Corinth. He endured. And God's going to, and he's going to keep you the same way. You'll endure. Don't quit. You got a promise from God. And he continued there a year and six months. That's all he needed to hear from the Lord. Once he heard from God, he could do it. Okay, Lord, you got my back. Okay, Lord, I can, I can do this. Maybe somebody here just heard that and says, God, I don't, I don't understand, but I, but I do believe. That's my prayer for you this morning. That's my heart's desire for you this morning, that you would be set free. And what did he do? He just couldn't sit idle there. He didn't just sit a year and a half in bed, man. What did he do? He taught the word of God. He got his focus off himself and put his eyes back on Jesus and got after his father's business. 
That's the fastest way to get out of depression and anxiety. Go serve. Get outside yourself. Try worshiping the Lord. Put music on. Lift your hands in your house with holy hands and begin to sing God. Try to be depressed doing that. It's really hard. Like, like Lord, I love you. God, I love you, but I'm really mad. But I love you. You're like, what's going on? You can't do it, right? I mean, maybe for the first five minutes, but then after that, you're like, just, you're just lost in, in the Lord. You're lost in Jesus. Thank you, God. You're washed. You're redeemed. And you're ready to face the world, man. I used to go out on my lunch, go into the car sometimes, turn on the music, open my Bible, walk back in. I'm like a new man in Christ. I'm a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. He's continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That's just kind of shocking. I mean, you think about it. You thought Paul was about to quit at this point. But, I mean, this is the longest to date he's spent in any one city at this point when he's in Corinth. A year and six months is the longest to date. But look at the results. So when Gallio was pro-counsel, Gallio is a very wicked man. You'll, we'll read about him a little bit more here. Was pro-counsel of Acacia. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. But you remember what Paul said in verse 9 and 10? He says, I'm going to protect you, Paul. This is interesting to me. God uses a man that's wicked. God uses a man that's not even saved to come and protect his son. Can God not do that with you and I? Of course he can. So when Galileo was a proconsul of Acacia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him into the judgment seat, saying, the fellow persuades me to worship God contrary to the law. Paul's going, here we go again. Right? Here we go again. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, God keeps his promise. Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crime, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. In other words, if, if he really broke the civil law, I'd deal with it. He said, but I see through this. You don't hate this man because of any civil law he's broken or any claim. There's envy and jealousy there. This man who isn't even a believer, wicked in heart, he can discern what even these Jewish or even Greek men alike there could not. Their own heart. Their own heart. But if it's question of the words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of sons matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. What did God just do there? He protected him, didn't he? He defended him. Just what he promised in verse 10. God always keeps his promises. 100% of the time. Then all the Greeks took Suthenes or Suthens or Suthenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But now this Gallio, this man who defended Paul because the Lord moved through him, what's he do? He turns a, a blind eye. You know, watching this man being beaten that way. The wicked man that could watch this. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Sus. 
So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. So where's he making his way back to? Syrian Antioch, right? His home church. He wants to go back to his home church. It's actually going to conclude his second missionary journey. Verse 23, if you're not catching, you don't catch it quick. He actually starts his third missionary journey there, right in verse 23. But he's going to head back. And that's where we're going to close today. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, man, right in the mid. Yeah, he's going to head back. I want you to read ahead. But he's going to go get his hair cut. So before he makes his way to Centurion hair, um, boy, oh, boy. Centuria, right? Centuria, there we go. Before he makes his way back there, he's, he's going to do what? He's got to go and take a vow. He's got to go back to Jerusalem. What is this talking about? What kind of vow is this? It's a Nazarite vow. You see, those that try to claim that Paul rejected the Jews and didn't want anything to do with them, I, I love to bring them to this passage and say, look, Paul didn't need to be under the ceremonial laws, but he still loved to do things that, that had to do with sacrifice or things that he could do to demonstrate you know, his love for Christ that way. Much like you and I, when we fast, right? we deny our flesh, well, Paul's going to turn around and he's going he's to take this Nazarite vow and he's going to shave off, well, he's going to take his hair and he'd have to shave. And what would they do after he shaves there? He'd keep it in a bag or in whatever he could carry it in. And he'd go back to Jerusalem and he'd present it to the priest. And what he would do is then they would do a ceremony. And that's part of the Nazarite vow. If you remember, in the book of Judges, we can learn more about the Nazarite vow. If you want to go and read it, you, you can go back and, and look at it for our time next time. But there's three specific things that if you were a Nazarite, you were not to go near. One was you were not to get your hair cut. What was the second thing? Not to have anything of the vine, right? No wine that way, no, nothing, no grapes, nothing of the vine that way. And what was the third thing? You were to keep yourself from dark, dead carcasses, carcasses, whether it's animal or human, like that. Those are the three things. But Paul's going to make his way back. But before he gets to Syrian Antioch, which is where he wants to go to his home church because can you imagine? Paul's like, at this point, he's encouraged. He's been there a year and six months. He wants to head back. He wants to tell all the brothers and sisters, you remember three years ago when you sent me out and we weren't sure what God was going to do? There's been over five different churches the Lord has planted. The gospel's gone forward. People have come to salvation. He wants to go back there and he wants to what? Bring glory and honor his name. He wants to go to his home church and you know, celebrate this. But before he does that, he remembers this vow he took. And he's got to head back to Jerusalem to do that. So, you know, it's an interesting place to stop. But read ahead. Go back and look, you know, really all the way through, I, I would just say, even part of the half, first half of chapter 19. Paul's going to make it to Ephesus. Do you remember the first time he wanted to go to Ephesus? But God says, no, you're going to go where? You're going to go to Europe. The Holy Spirit said, remember he had the vision of the Macedonian man that came to him like that? He says, no, Paul, you're going here. God will get his heart's desire, or excuse me, Paul will get his heart's desire that way, and he will make it to Ephesus. And he's going to spend three years at Ephesus, the longest he'll spend at any one church. God always gets his man. God always gets his woman. We serve a great God, amen? Let's stand and pray.
Again, there was so much as we went through this here this morning. I mean, to pick out any one specific passage to try to close with a verse that way, I, I couldn't do it. I said, Lord, this is all awesome. You put this feast in front of us this morning. But the thing that if I had to think of one area, I guess that spoke out to me was that fear is not something God wants any one of us to have. It's something that he realizes we have the propensity to have it when we begin to trust in ourselves and what we see around us. And often, we as believers can be so busy about our father's business that we actually begin to get weary and tired. If we're so busy doing the work of God and not spending time in the fellowship of God, we're going to end up physically bankrupt and spiritually bankrupt that way. If we're not walking with Jesus, if we're not at that fountain of living water, right, we're going to run empty, man. You guys know what I'm talking about? 